0: Oh. Oh.
1: Good evening and welcome to the Coffee Clatch. This is Mary Ann Russo. I want to thank you for joining us tonight. I think we have a really special and really important interview for you. Um I want to uh say hello to Chuck Wally and Mae Wilkinson. They'll be holding down the fort over on our simultaneous tweet chat um with the hashtag TCK. Tonight, um My guest really, it's just, I feel like we're we're like um, just kindred because uh, both of us just want to help parents and break the isolation. So many families are suffering in silence, embarrassed by the behavioral issues and the crises in their homes. And, um, you know, we're here to let you know that you're not alone and there are answers for you. So tonight my guest is Michael Woods. He is the father of three boys with autism and he is the founder of Relational Crisis Prevention. Uh, Relational Crisis Prevention is a person-centered, relationship-focused crisis um, prevention model, and I think that's so important because prevention is key. Being proactive is key. And tonight, I think you're going to find a lot of comfort in what Mike is going to talk about. So, Mike, welcome. Thank you for joining me. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate having a chance to be
0: on here. You know, I I know that the Copy Clutch is about making special needs parenting a little easier, a little less lonely, and a whole lot more informed. And I, I appreciate everything that you all do, and I try to get on here and listen to a lot of your shows. I really appreciate being a parent <laughs> because you can't always have the time to do what you want when you want, but the fact that you have everything on demand. So it's always easy to go back and listen to things that you couldn't listen to when they were occurring live. So that's pretty cool.
1: Right, well, and you know, and it's it's just you know this started on a whim, and it's just great because you know there's just so many parents that um, you know that we're able to reach. It's it's really incredible, and you know, you, I think that it's 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 so unique because there are no two kids that are alike. There are no two homes that are alike, even when we're dealing with children with the same disorders. And um, I think that knowing that um, really helps parents be able to accept it and get, you know, get through this. So, um, you know, why don't you start off by telling us a little bit about yourself um, and, you know, your family?
0: All right. Well, at the time my triplet boys were born back in 1997, I had been an officer in in the U.S. Marines for about 21 years at that time. And since I was in a position to be able to retire, I decided to do so because it was important to me that, my boys have a parent at home, and I was in the in the position to do that. So I figured, you know, how hard could this stay-at-home parenting stuff be? I mean, after all, I'd been telling Marines what to do for 20-plus years, so I retired to be a stay-at-home dad. And I knew, I tell folks this all the time, I knew within the first 36 hours that I had signed on for the wrong job. <laughs> because... The, the whole state at home parenting. I know guys think it's easy. It's not. It's hard. And those boys of mine weren't listening to anything I had to say, and it was apparent that they were marching to the the beat of a different drummer. And over the next year and a half, I would say my life was fairly ordinary, kind of what it's like for most dads who have toddlers. I suspect you spend time playing with your kids, trying to teach them new words, take them places in order to provide them new experiences, However, as the months were whizzing by, I began to notice that even though Joshua and Jacob were babbling and making noises, they were not beginning to combine those sounds into words. And that became a bit of a concern, but well-meaning friends and relatives assured me that because they were preemies and boys, they were probably just a little bit behind and would be speaking sentences in, in no time. However, at the age of about two those words and sentences were still nowhere to be found and it was at that point that a friend suggested that i have their language assessed by a speech language pathologist so i did she expressed some concerns and encouraged me to take the boys to the developmental evaluation center i was living in north carolina at the time so i took them there and to make a long story short One thing led to another, and in January of 2000, a developmental psychologist and a social worker sat on my four-screen sofa in my living room and pronounced that Joshua and Jacob had classic autism. And little did I know at that point that I was about to leave ordinary behind and have to venture forth into a a brave new world. And I was naive enough at the time, and so unfamiliar with the term autism, and what it entailed, I had no clue how much my life was going to change. The more I began to surf the Internet and read up on autism, the more I began to feel overwhelmed and swallowed up by something that seemed so much larger than anything I'd ever have to tackle in my life. This wasn't the job that I signed up for. This wasn't the direction that I expected life to take me.
1: Right, and I think that's what the emotion so many of us feel, you know, and I I say it all the time. I'm sure people are sick of hearing it, but, you know, accepting the diagnosis is one thing. Accepting the life it will bring is something completely different and and much, much harder. Um, You know, it, it sort of just hits you and you're just so lost and overwhelmed.
0: Yeah. I don't know if most parents were like I was, but I thought I had a clue and I thought, boy, this is something we can fix. You know, we'll get this done in a year and get everything back on track. And so... I didn't know how deep of waters we were in initially, but as the days and the weeks and the months kept ticking by, I realized, oh my gosh, you know, we're we're in this for the long haul. I was right. at a total loss of how to fix. I at that time, I was I was a parent, and I just retired from the Marines. You don't come equipped with some kind of manual for your kids. They write a lot of books, but they never seem to really work for your child. And I was at a total loss of how to fix. The autism-related behaviors for my boys, they were totally nonverbal. They couldn't express their wants and needs verbally, which meant that they communicated through physical actions. And many times for Joshua, that would mean self-interest behaviors because of his frustration and not being able to express his wants and needs. And my other son, Jacob, was just the opposite, even though he wasn't, self interest he became physically aggressive as a means to express his frustration. And my home was beginning to feel like a battlefield. And most of the early intervention professionals didn't seem to have the time to come to my home and and help me. Um, It was at that point in my life, I realized that something needed to change, or should I say someone. That someone was me. If nobody around me, knew how to help me then I was going to have to learn how to help myself and I accepted the fact that if I didn't set out to start learning more about autism and crisis behaviors I wasn't going to be able to go the distance right so I spent the uh, the next five years I would embark on a journey to try to master the information that I felt I so desperately needed and it wasn't easy, but, you know, a determined parent can get a lot done. you know, the Coffee Clatch, a lot of other really great organizations, I think, have really been started by parents. Just a determined mom or dad, I think moms in most cases, but certainly dads out there too, you know, we're the ones that are out there making a big difference for a lot of other parents.
1: Right. And, you know, and I think it's because I know for myself, um, you know, I, I know the frustrations um, you know i i've lived it you know i just told you before the interview you know i've been to hell and back and um i made a lot of mistakes and you know if i can keep somebody else from making those mistakes and if i can keep somebody else from feeling that pain you know then it's all worth it and um you know i think that's that's really there's no better resource for a parent going you know through this journey than a parent who's been there
0: right you know you make a
1: good point and i would like to i'd like to
0: bring something out i In the course of those five years, I went out and got a master's degree in in, uh, crisis management, conflict management. I took other graduate-level courses and became an associate board-certified behavior analyst, took some intensive training through the Crisis Prevention Institute, and I'm a senior instructor with those folks now and employed by a a large St. Louis school district to train staff and teachers. And we do a lot of parent training, too, on how to prevent crisis behaviors and produce positive behavior changes, but I don't know at all. And so I'm not going to sit here tonight and say that I have the answer for everyone. In fact, the website that I've created, my intent is to share a lot of positive support strategies, a lot of relational concepts, uh, a lot of them, and let parents, because really, who knows your child, better than anyone else. You do. Right. And you know what? And a lot of times, and I hope not many professionals are listening, but listen, I was a parent before I became a professional. A lot of times professionals don't give parents enough credit for how well we know our kids.
1: Right, and, you know, it, it, the things that we see, you know, it, it, if it's not in the book, you know, I, I think times have changed. I really, I mean, I've seen it over the past 15 years. Um, you know, but there used to be the time that, you know, if it wasn't what's in the book, you know, then, then we really weren't uh, seeing it correctly or we weren't relaying yeah. it correctly. But I think, you know, more importantly is that, as you said, you don't know it all. I don't know it all. We know what we live through. And, you know, there are no two kids that are the same. Right. But we do know the experience, the emotions, and, um, you know, we know the, the progression. And, you know, just helping a parent through that you know means a lot. And, you know, as I said in the beginning, um, a lot of families are really struggling. There are serious behavioral issues. There are serious behavioral issues with autism, with mental illness, with sensory issues. Um, you know, oftentimes children with learning disabilities, um, you know, present through the frustrations. And, you know relationships are easily damaged, relationships with the, the children and relationships in marriage, and, um, you know, that's really the, what I wanted to get into tonight. Um, you know, how, when you have a child that's raging out of control, no matter what therapies you use, no matter what medications you try, you just can't get a handle on it, um, you're perceived as being a bad parent, you're feeling defeated, you know, what? what do you say to those people? How do you start?
0: Well, I first of all, I say that don't feel like you're alone because we've all been there. And as I like to remind folks, I've not only been there and done that, but I still have the T-shirt hanging in the closet. The things that I've learned over the course of time, and the things that I've had a chance to practice with a lot of kids, my job is to know the best practices, the research-based strategies for preventing or minimizing crisis behaviors, and my intent with the race, Relational Crisis Prevention website, is to put those things up there, eventually create more online training videos and podcasts, but to let parents pick. Because, again, you know your child better than anyone else. I think that if you put the right tools – no, let me take that back. If you make a lot of tools and strategies available for parents – they'll know which ones are a good fit for them and a good fit for their child. And you just trust in the fact that they'll they'll reach out and take the information that's going to work for their child and leave the rest of it there. And, and I'm trying to design a site that's like that. It's not me telling you, here's what Mike Woods thinks you ought to do, because Mike mm-hmm. Woods still makes mistakes. But I have learned a thing or two along the way my job, I think, is to share a lot of information from one parent to another and let you decide what to do. What I think helps parents uh, is they need a roadmap, and that's something I never had, and now that I have one, I find it to be fairly useful. It's kind of a, a model that you can filter through behaviors to try to figure out uh, what's going on. Now let me let me share something with you. Two years ago, I made a trip to Boston, and, and upon arriving at Logan International Airport, I grabbed a bag, rented a car, and quickly drove off to the Hyatt Regency, which was only about five miles away, just off Interstate 93. No problem. And I'm a pretty good driver, I think, as most men, though will never admit otherwise. I have a good sense of direction. And nonetheless... I'd only driven about a mile from the airport when I connected to a major freeway with chaotic traffic conditions and confusing interchanges if you've ever been to Boston. And the drive quickly became a very disorienting experience. And after several long turns, I realized I was lost. I'd become off track. And my mistake was that before departing from the airport, when the car agent asked, sir, do you need a road map? I responded with an enthusiastic, no, I don't. <laughs> Let's just say I never reached my destination. Without right. having a roadmap, I wasn't able to make a plan to get back on track towards my desired destination. And so, three here's, here's the starting point. You need to have a roadmap. Uh, the three main benefits of having a roadmap for crisis prevention are, one, knowing where your child is at on the crisis escalation cycle. The crisis prevention roadmap will help you to be able to pinpoint where your child is on this crisis escalation cycle, which is a fairly predictable sequence of phases that every child goes through, but also knowing where you're at on the crisis escalation cycle because the wrong type of response, here's what gets you in trouble, the wrong type of response... Yeah. What your child is doing only serves to further escalate the crisis. And the other main benefit of having a roadmap for crisis prevention is knowing where you want to go next. You may not be able to calm your child down completely yet in this moment, so what's the next best level or phase that you could start aiming for? And another benefit for having a roadmap for crisis prevention is just knowing when you're going the wrong way you know, you need to immediately be able to identify when your child is starting to further escalate so that you know to start turning that around. Um, And the roadmap, again, is just an overlay. It's not my set of strategies, though I'm going to provide a lot of strategies through the website. Uh, I'm going to put a lot out there. It's parents who need to pick and choose because, again, parents are the experts of their own kids, and so... You're able to fit things that you already know. Like you've had Ross Green on the show before several times. Mm -hmm. And, you know, one of Ross's strategies for explosive kids is for parents to really, really, really get a good handle on those situations that tend to start triggering the explosive behaviors.
1: Absolutely. Being proactive.
0: Being proactive. To know your child well enough that you start to notice those very subtle behaviors that are kind of not red flags just yet, but they're more like yellow flags.
1: Right. And I think, you know, also the the first thing that I think a parent that has a child like this has to do is that they have to throw the idea of I'm the parent and I'm in control out the window. And I think, you know, you and I are are some of the few, and Ross Green, um, you know, we're some of the few people that are really, Stressing the importance of the relationship as being key, and um, you know, it, really, the, the, you don't start even on working on your roadmap until you build the trust, and you right. know, till so your kid knows that you get it, that this is out of their control, that they're suffering. You know, when you get that part of the the puzzle done, you know, that's when you really start to do the work with being proactive. I mean, I see it all. The time that you know parents will call me and they'll say, "Oh, we just had a major rage. Oh my God, he was just out of control. He just threw the dish across the room," and you know, and you know, my throat hurts from yelling. And I said, "Well, what were you yelling at? <laughs> you know, why was there any yelling? There shouldn't mm-hmm. be any yelling. You can't make an irrational child rational." <laughs> right. Know? So um, you know, I, I agree. It's it's being proactive. Well, that negative crisis
0: cycle that you're describing kind of works like this, and, and parents have to be very careful. You know, and when I say parents, I'm talking about myself too because I'm just as easily, if if I'm not thinking about staying calm and not reacting, uh, I could get sucked into this negative cycle also. But typically what happens is, is an incident occurs, And again, this incident could be very individualized for any particular child that we're talking Mm -hmm. about. More than likely, parents know what the incident is for their particular child. An incident occurs that activates negative thoughts for your child, and that triggers negative feelings for them. Then those negative feelings, not their rational forces, but their negative feelings start to drive his or her inappropriate behaviors, well, those inappropriate behaviors that your child's exhibiting, yelling, sarcasm, sarcasm, refusing to speak, threatening, whatever it might be, those now in turn incite the adult. And the adult not only picks up on their child's feelings, but at this point, because of something called social reciprocity. If you're not careful, you're likely to mirror back to your child exactly what they're giving you. Exactly. So now you, yeah, right, you yell back. You start threatening. And then what happens is as your child reacts to that, it increases their stress or their anxiety. That escalates the conflict, and it just kind of goes
1: on and on. It becomes a, it just becomes a very vicious cycle. And you can't really underestimate the physical response, either the chemical response of the limbic system, because when the adrenaline and the cortisol start flowing, I mean, you've lost the battle for a little while, you know. And, um, you know, as we say all the time, it's, you know, I, I say, you know, you have to do like the, the flight attendant tells you, put on your oxygen mask first. Um, yeah. You really do. You know, you have to just stay calm. And I think more importantly is you have to really – it's exhausting. It is exhausting living in a state of being proactive. But once you identify the triggers, if you know that your kid is going to be hungry and if your kid is hungry you're going to have a rage, you make sure you have something to eat. You know, Mm -hmm. if you know that you go to a mall and, you know, waiting online is going to induce a rage – you know, you go at different times or you leave the child with someone else. It's really, you have to live differently than other people live, but in the long run, you're going to get a handle on it.
0: Right. In in my field, and I think I wrote an article on it, uh, I might even have an online training video on it on the website. You're describing something what I call setting events. And setting events are internal or external causes of behavior that you have no control over uh, a lack of sleep can sometimes lend itself to a child acting out, being hungry, having to wait too long, change in medication, forgot their medications, uh, particular people. There's all kind of things that can trigger behaviors that sometimes you have no control over, but if you know what those are, then you can work towards either preventing those or trying to remediate those, kind of like you said. If if a child's starting to act out because he or she is hungry, give them some food. Haven't had enough sleep, see if he could take a nap. And trying to offset that by being proactive. But it does require, as you pointed out, being able to put your finger on what those are. And and that's pretty important. If you want, I could talk about... um, Some of the why don't I cover if if you want uh, the the four phases of the roadmap just to try to give people at least a working model. Mm -hmm. Um, The relational crisis prevention roadmap follows a predictable route that your child takes when his or her behaviors become off track, and track is spelled T R A C because it's a mnemonic aid to help you to remember the phases of the crisis escalation cycle or the crisis roadmap. T is for the tension phase. The first stop along the crisis roadmap is the tension phase, and the tension phase is the phase in which something happens that starts to make your child feel stressful or tense. The possible causes could be internal, such as a thought like, this isn't fair. Why do I have to do this now? Or the cause could be external, such as someone taking a favorite item away from your child or someone preventing him or her from engaging in a preferred activity. The possible causes for the tension phase are very individualized for your child. And you're going to know that your child is in the tension phase because there's going to be a noticeable change in behavior loud vocalizations, pacing fidgeting, foot tapping, for my son Joshua, for example, I can tell that he's starting to become tense or anxious about something because he starts to engage in loud vocalizations. Now, I'm not talking screaming or yelling here, but just a lot of repetitive, echoic, loud vocalizations tells me that something is upsetting him. For my son Joshua, or Jacob, however, the behaviors that he exhibits in this tension phase, again, which is the first stop in the in the crisis roadmap, is as he gets the furrowed eyebrow kind of thing. He tilts his head down, he furrows his forehead and his eyebrows, and he kind of looks up at you at an angle. And that almost tells me all the time something's on his mind that he's not too happy about. Um, how about for you, for your child? Is there any specific low level type of behaviors that kind of indicate to you something is amiss here. I mean, we're not talking a full-blown meltdown at this point. We're just talking right. about
1: noticing hmm something's Right. It, up. It's it's the precipitative stage. Um you know, we would see um some stereotypies like um hand pulsing. Um mm-hmm. we would see more going off um into the what we used to call thinking, you know, in, into their other visual world, um sometimes pacing. Um you know, and it was uh you know, I always had found that it was best to just leave it at that point and just let them use these uh her self soothing techniques. Um right. because if you did try to interrupt it then you you know, you were guaranteed a full blown rage. Okay. And that and so for your child that's how you address that. Right.
0: And there's a lot of different ways, and and it's good to put your finger on that. In fact, you know, I end up having to do something different, which I think brings out the point that you mentioned earlier. There's a lot of different ways that you can respond to a child. We need to find the ways that work for our children, and it's important in that sense that I think not to push what I think works for my kids on anyone else. Now, I will share those ideas, but also the ideas that work for a lot of other kids because, again, just like you have, just like I have, we're going to know, is that child's mom, is that child's dad, I have a pretty good idea of what works and what doesn't once I see it. And if you give me that tool, I'm going to make it work because, you know what, I know my child better than
1: you. Exactly. And you know, that's what I tell parents also, you know, your child, what soothes my child may not soothe your child. And right. really, you have to allow your child to show you how they're going to self-calm. And if they can't, you have to teach them those skills. But these kids are so individual. I mean, you know, it, it's it's exhausting.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, here's my thoughts about
0: about the website I'm creating. Again, the unique thing about relational crisis prevention, the roadmap that I'm designing is is that it's by a parent, it's for parents, and... I'm concerned about relationships. You know, as a father of three boys on the autism spectrum, they have their behaviors. Uh, And the moments during those behaviors could be described as stressful, tense, nerve-wracking, exasperating, frustrating. And if you're a parent to a child who has a tendency to act out, I suspect you could add a few words to that list too. And in spite of how my boys behave at times, just like you, and just like all the other parents out there, you know, I love my boys. And I believe in having unconditional love for your children. No matter what, a parent should stick by their child through good times and bad. And I know some parents who are listening out there are thinking, well, duh. But my personal experience has been that not every parent is willing to go the distance. You know, I was a single parent of custody of all three of my boys for five years. And so I know that there are some parents who will walk away from a relationship with their child who has special needs. And I think that even when times get rough, the unconditional love and parent-child relationship should always be a a priority. And so the entire philosophy of relational crisis prevention is built on the belief that the relationship between the parent and child is a priority because all kids, even those with challenging behaviors, have the right to be treated with fairness, dignity and respect and our children should be seen as people first rather than some and i'm not speaking so much to parents now as i am probably to people who work in the educational system or for agencies Mm -hmm. you know our kids should be seen as people first rather than just some diagnostic label or client to be served
1: absolutely um and that's up to the parents to insist on that but you know that's that's where the, the advocacy comes in
0: it is, in, and here's the, the caution. You know, In some crisis intervention models, the relationship between parent and child is, is rarely given priority. Most of these models focus on managing challenging behaviors without being overly concerned about the long-term relationship, and, and many models don't focus on relationship. For them, the focus of crisis intervention is on compliance and control and obedience, and unfortunately, sometimes punishment and even restraint can sometimes be the tools that are used to produce those outcomes. And that's why the relational crisis prevention approach is an approach that involves a problem-solving process that helps you not only to develop positive solutions to prevent challenging behaviors, but solutions that won't damage relationships, solutions that create safe boundaries and maintain healthy relationships. Because I know that you myself, and every other parent out there, just like us, is endeavoring to be, we're all striving to be the best parents that we can be, and we struggle with difficult decisions regarding behaviors that stem from our child's diagnosis of autism or whatever it might be. But because I've always believed that parents are each other's best resources, and and we're often our only sources of encouragement, is, is one another, you know, this is my bid to do my part for the parent community because, again, I'm not an outsider looking in on this. I'm an insider, and I always will be. I will always be a parent first and a uh, a professional second. All
1: right. And, um, you know, I wanted to, to go back before um, we run out of time because I do want to get through um, the four, um, the the track. Um, and you were talking okay. about the, the different phases. You were talking about the tension phase. And yeah, well, is, let me... I'll give you a synopsis. So
0: the the mnemonic device, uh, because there's a lot of information, and, of course, there's no way we're going to get through it, but let me get through just the roadmap. The mnemonic mnemonic device is T-R-A-C. So when your child gets off track, T-R-A-C. T was that tension phase we talked about. If the problem in the tension phase doesn't get resolved, your child's behavior will become more off track and escalate to the next stop along the crisis roadmap, which is the R, which is the refusal phase. And the refusal phase is the phase in which your child is now going to start challenging those around him or her by refusing, either verbally or physically, to do anything unless their problems resolve. resolved. So at the tension phase, you have these kind of low-level type of behaviors. You could tell that something was starting to bother your child. That is really the best time to, to jump in and problem solve, because at that particular phase, problem solving is the right response. But if you're not able to do that, or what happens a lot of times, if you're busy and you miss the fact that your child's at the retention phase, oftentimes they'll go to the refusal phase, Mm-hmm. And at that point, they're refusing either verbally or physically to do anything until their problems resolve. So some examples would be shouting, "No, no, no!" or or by saying, "I don't want to do that. You can't make me do that." Physical examples of the refusal phase might be something like not sitting down when you've asked them to, or not physically transitioning someplace that you need him or her to go. This phase along the crisis roadmap is the one in which your child is now starting to become less rational and less able to problem solve. And the possible causes of moving into the refusal phase tends to be, these are the two primary ones. One, you didn't recognize that your child was in the tension phase, and so therefore the, the problem wasn't resolved, so that's why they've moved to the refusal phase. They're, they're escalating to get your attention to let somebody know I'm not happy here, uh, or the wrong set of strategies were used during the tension phase. Um, if the problem, if the refusal phase doesn't get resolved, your child's behavior might, will it become more off track? Typically, the next stop, now this doesn't always happen, so don't get me wrong, but once a child escalates from the refusal phase, it tends to now move into the aggression phase, and the aggression phase is the phase in which your child becomes Physically aggressive. So now I'm not just refusing anything uh, verbally or physically, and by physically I just mean I'm not complying with what people are asking me to do. You know, aggression tends to manifest itself in either self-injurious behaviors such as biting or hitting oneself, or physical physical aggression towards someone else, hitting, biting, kicking, headbutting, property damage, things of that nature. And again, the possible causes of moving into the aggression phase tends to be. One, you weren't able to resolve the problem at the refusal phase. Or two, again, it's using the wrong set of strategies at, at that particular phase. And in this phase, your child basically has lost self-control. I mean, that's why they're they're physically acting out at this point in, in an aggressive way, either towards themselves or someone else. And the, the truth of the matter is, is once your child is in this phase, it often has to run its course because of that lack of right. self-control. You know, right, and you wouldn't we all know this because 'cause we've been there and done that typically no at this phase, no amount of reasoning, negotiating, bargaining, motivating, or other strategies uh are going to work.
1: Right. Once they're they're in that rage and once I call it the dark period, um, you know, once they turn dark, it's really just a matter of trying to get them to calm. And, you know, that could be the the priority. Your priority, I feel, as a parent is to make sure that the child is safe and everyone else in the house is safe. And that's just about it. And just riding out the storm, you know, and then, you know, learning from it and, and trying to see what the triggers were and how you can avoid it next time.
0: When your child's in the aggression phase, he or she is acting out physically, uh, again, through self-interest behaviors or aggressive behaviors, and those are the observable behaviors that your child will manifest. You'll know it when you see it. And during that phase, you do need to carefully determine your alternatives. Um, you know, what are your alternatives or options when your child is in this phase and the crisis roadmap? You know, should you guide him or her to a safe spot, right. uh, a safe a safe spot is a
1: positive support strategy
0: I'm in the right. and, and it's
1: not a punishment it's it's a place to calm
0: It is a place to calm and I'm in the process of developing an online training video again to to put that it it's a positive support strategy it's just one of many, but a safe spot sometimes using safety padding can protect yourself from being hit and at the same time avoid your child from being hurt and avoid having to restrain your child and Safety padding for me, I'm not talking about getting dressed up in some uh, canine outfit, though All I right. wish I had one from time to time, but you're using like a, uh, a big light beanbag chair or a big pillow, and you're putting that, you're holding that between you and your child. And so if they're attempting to strike you, they're actually hitting that and not you. And, right. you know, at this time, it, it's it's... Uh, just a way to allow them to get it out of their system. Some people prefer a safe spot. I totally get that. For others, if your child is being aggressive and seeking you out, this is a good strategy because it allows them, if they're going to hit something, they're hitting a beanbag or a huge pillow and not you. And because it's not you, you're allowed to stay more calm during this time frame because you're not physically being hurt. For some other folks, it may mean, um, you know, who else can you call? Uh, for immediate support, some kids right. are at such a physical size that for a mom, in some cases for dads, it's a lot to
1: handle. You know, is there exactly once they get older? I can imagine. it. I mean, you know, how could you handle it? a small child? You can, yeah. but you know, how do you control? You know, say a sixteen, seventeen-year-old boy.
0: Well, you do it primarily through being more proactive. Uh, when I worked with adults. At the Judah Mine Center for Autism, I I would often be responsible for bringing two adults out into the community. And we're talking sometimes guys that were 6'2", 230, you know, much bigger than myself. I wasn't going to physically be able to stop them uh, from doing anything that they wanted to do if they were acting out. And so you are always in that preventative mode knowing that person well and enough and having a, a good enough relationship that you know what the triggers are, you know what the things are, that kind of set them off, And you're, you're working very hard at being proactive. If I understood you earlier, you were kind of saying, you know, at some point it just becomes a way of life. It becomes something second nature that you do.
1: Being you know, proactive. I, I, I think, you know, in in a way I, I think that that's what I said, but, What I found was that creating a sensory-friendly world, creating an environment where she could stay calm and that um, there weren't constant triggers, um, I felt gave her a chance to calm, her nervous system to calm. Mm -hmm. And it's it's during those times of calm that they really learn the most. It's when you can get to them. Um, So I think that initially setting up that environment, that sensory-friendly environment, and that, you know, world that's probably very foreign to most people, I think gives you the opportunity to, to have the calm that you need because, I mean, really... For many families, and not all families, you know, for many families, what's the option? The option is a completely out-of-control, chaotic home where safety is is an issue, where siblings are suffering, watching the um, erratic and scary behaviors. Um, Parents are at odds. So, you know, I think that sometimes I don't look at it as giving in. I look at it as, as creating an environment where they're able to be calm so that they can attain the skills that they don't have naturally.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Well, that last phase of the, the crisis roadmap, the C
0: in T-R-A-C, when your child becomes off track, C does stand for the calm down phase. And I mentioned earlier that your child will arrive at this, you know, your child will arrive at this phase either because of a solution that you implemented or because at some point his or her emotional and physical energy is spent. You can only stay at that aggressive level, that right. that meltdown acting out level,
1: for so long. Now, right. I get. But for some kids, that can be pretty long. <laughs> it can, or you know, well, really, I'm. I mean, i did not mean that as a joke. I mean that seriously. <laughs> I mean, some kids no, well, can I rage know. for days. <laughs> I, I, I was laughing because uh, a, a, you're right. Not
0: be, not because it can be long, because it can be. But sometimes when it's only five minutes from a or two minutes from a parent's perspective, it still feels like eternity. Right. It just feels like a long time, right? Um, and that calm that, that we were
1: talking about before—I mean, that's an outer calm, <laughs> you know. I mean, that calm, um, you know, is the being calm so that you're mirroring the right behavior and you're not escalating in an already really bad situation. But I'll tell you, you're, you're shaking inside. <laughs> right. you know, The calm is not internal. <laughs> well,
0: that—that's that's the relational part of this model. You know, I've already generated several articles or videos pertaining to what are the relational things. And it's not just only the relational things between you and your, your child. A lot of parents know how to develop a good relationship with their child. Relational to me is also relationship to yourself. How do you stay calm? How do you stay uh, detached? And I don't mean detached in, a, in an impersonal way, but when your child is acting out, And you need to remain calm because, again, this concept of of social reciprocity, if you're not careful, we have a tendency, social reciprocity says that as human beings, we have a tendency to give to others what they're giving us. And so when you compliment me, I I have a tendency really to kind of almost automatically compliment you back. But if you say something kind of sarcastic to me, what's my natural inclination? Well, probably to say something sarcastic back. Right. Well, when your kids are acting out, if you're not careful, again, your inclination, uh, it's its not something you think about doing. In a lot of cases, it's not something that you want to do. If you're not staying calm, you tend to mirror back to your child how they're acting, and that's where you can really end up being in a, uh, a tailspin. And so some of the relational Absolutely. aspects of this model... Are going to be things about you know what are six strategies for reducing stress in yourself because that's those are the things that you're going to need to do or think about doing if you're not doing them to be able to stay calm. you know. During and I think the that a
1: lot of that is the mindset. And I think that, um, you know, I don't know if that comes with experience. I don't know if that comes with surviving it. Um, but there, there is a shift in the mindset. And you're surviving is, you know, really what you're doing at, at some points. But, um, you know, it, it can be very hard. But I think that parents need to look at these children with a different set of eyes. Um, you know, when you're looking at the child with anger, Um, I think they see that anger, you know, the eyes are the mirror to the soul. I think that the kids see that anger, and um, they're Mm -hmm. already in pain. And, you know, for me, as hard as it was, I mean, as defiant or as difficult as, you know, my child was being, it was so much more productive to say, I'm really sorry, you know, I, I see you're struggling, you know, you know, I know you're upset right now. Instead of the yelling and I can't take it anymore, and I can't believe you're behaving like this, you know, to to just show that I think really it's very difficult for somebody, even somebody irrational and out of control, to continue to be angry when you're telling them, I love you and I'm sorry you're suffering.
0: Yeah. Well, spoken like a true veteran. Uh,
1: <laughs> I am. I'm a warrior. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? I, I I can only
0: speak for myself. I think I'm there with you now, but I have to tell you, uh, 10 years ago when my boys were three, like every other parent who was starting to have to figure out, how do I respond to these behaviors in a productive way? Because you want to, and you try, and inadvertently you may do the wrong thing, not intentionally but you're 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 doing what you've learned to do or you're doing what your mom and dad did with you thinking okay that worked with me let me try it with my child and it doesn't work and there's right. just this growing sense of frustration and on a daily basis it can become very uh, emotionally draining and frustrating and at that point i think See, that's where you need help. And I don't know about you, but my story back in North Carolina during that time frame was nobody was knocking on my door to say, hey, how can I help you here? I'm a professional. I know what to do. How can I help you? And and so much like you've done with the coffee clatch, this is my bid, a small slice of the pie that strictly focuses on challenging behaviors and what can you do is making this available. I wish I could come to your house, but the next best thing is 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 putting what I know on the internet, letting you read everything and decide. I like that. I don't like that. That would work for my and it's child. Going to that trial would be child. Yeah, but it, now
1: at least you have someone there trying to help you out,
0: and you don't uh, feel
1: like you're alone in it because if you really oh, become parents, are so isolated. You know, but they are. but getting back to what we were saying before about. Um, you know, to me, it's almost like, okay, if you keep doing the same thing over and over and over, you keep getting the same reaction. You're still getting the rages. It's almost like the monkey that keeps going back and, you know, touching the button and getting zapped. You right. know, af- after a while, you have to say, you know, this isn't working. The I'm the parent and the you have to listen and the, you know, why are you acting like this? You know, after a while, you get zapped enough, you say, you know what, this isn't the way to go. But, you know, for some kids, I don't know. I mean, for other kids, you know, discipline or that very hard line may work. You know, I guess mm-hmm. it depends on uh, on the child.
0: There's a lot of variables that go, that go into that. And, uh, you know, there are preventative things that you can do and there are consequential things that you can do. And uh, I'm not opposed to either one. And again, my intent is to put positive support strategies up on both sides of the house. I know, like uh, Ross Green, for example, it, mostly for kids that are an explosive child, preventative is the way to go. Oh, absolutely. Preventive, preventative is the way to go in most cases, anyways. There's nothing wrong with consequences, It's a it's a matter of knowing the positive type of consequences that build relationships and still prevent or minimize challenging behaviors, those are the ones that you want to go out and learn, not the ones that are necessarily designed to be punishing um, because those will get the job done, there's no doubt. But the research on punishment shows that um, it, it tends to start the deteriorating relationships. You know, if, Right if everything that you do is always punishing in nature, let's face it, I mean, that's when you talk about the marital relationship, the more punishing that my spouse, you know, if every interaction I have with my spouse, I feel worse, uh, I feel smaller, I feel like someone's always telling me what to do or whatever that might be, you you hate interacting. You just don't want to interact with that person anymore. And I think the same thing can happen in the parent-child relationship. So you have to be You have to be careful, but I say that, I have to remember, I need to take myself back a decade ago when I only knew what I knew back then. And I exhausted everything I knew how to do, and nothing was working. And again, no one was knocking on my door willing to help give me some answers. And I I don't find school districts, uh, there are some very good school districts who make a good effort into getting into a parent's home to help out, But I'd say nine out of ten times, you're probably not going to get any support. Your child will get support from the staff at school or from an agency someplace. But rarely is anyone come into your house to help you problem solve what occurs under your roof.
1: And, you know, the problem is that um, these children are just thrown into the abyss because they're beaten down everywhere they go. And it's not intentional, but they are. They're beaten down everywhere they go. They're considered behavioral problems at school. They have behavioral problems at home. They have social problems with other kids. I mean, their life really is just so difficult for them. And... You know, I think that a lot of times you have to really take a step back, even take a couple of step back steps back, and you have to say, what is it that's blocking this child from being able to function? Because mm-hmm. really they're not functioning. And I personally think that the majority of the time you're going to find that there is a lack of skills, that all children do not acquire skills naturally. Some children need to be taught skills, um, you know, and and you also need to be an investigator. Sometimes it's it's yeah. a learning disability that that's being masked as a behavioral problem. Sometimes it's an organic, a biological problem. So you know, there's just so much that parents really just need to to step back and take a look at, and um, you know, it's overwhelming. It's really just overwhelming. But um, you know, before we end, what is the K in your four phases?
0: Well, there was no K.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah.
0: See, I just uh, you know I don't know how to spell to begin with, so I just spelled it. <laughs> yeah. There is no fifth phase. Okay. Listen, now you're going to make me feel bad in front of everybody.
1: All right, let's There's make something
0: up. No... real. Kindness. You can't there... go wrong with kindness, can you? You know what? See, this is why we're having this conversation. <laughs> so I... it is now a five-phase model, and there We've is done deal. A how
1: how easy was
0: that? Did I pay you for this or what? I mean, are you billing by the Oh, I'm sending you an invoice. Don't worry.
1: <laughs> K is for kindness. Right. That's right. I just you know, you know what? And I think of that. And it really does come down to that because you know they, they always say that you know you're I forget how what the expression is but you know um, you know it's like you're hardest on those you love. You know. Oh, and the K is for kiss your children. You see, what would we do without tweet chat? Um, <laughs> Very cute. Um, kindness works, too. But, you know, it really comes down to that. You know, you should treat your child with the kindness that you would treat somebody else's child with. And, you know, I think that's, gets, that's lost, you know, because it, it is really frustrating I me. Mean, when you have a child and you just, you know, they're, they're just so defiant. But, you know, one thing I tell parents, I mean, and I'll promise you, you step back, you start treating this child with Compassion and empathy instead of anger, and a lot of things are going to change. But yeah. I mean, really, who wants to be yelled at all the time?
0: <laughs> well, Marianne, I get it. Again, you know what? you're you are a veteran of the parent wars. Uh, <laughs> you, this has been this has been a process for you in, in discovery, and, and you have a lot of great folks that you bring on uh, to your blog, talk radio show to help share that information. And, and this is my bid to do that, but.
1: Well, now the roadmap that you have, the roadmap that you have, now you have children with autism, but, you Mm -hmm. know, the roadmap that you have is going to work with all types of behavioral issues. And, you know, also, um, you don't just work with children because I'm in the sandwich generation, okay? So, um, you know, a lot of us also have parents, you know, that we're dealing with. And and this roadmap that you have, would this also work for that, for parents, so that for people that maybe have a parent, you know, God forbid, with Alzheimer's or something?
0: It would because, uh, you know, there again, that's another set of people who are dealing with uh, very similar to behaviors. To be quite honestly, the only difference is it's because of Alzheimer's and depending on what stage their parent might be. You know, it's your parent who's exhibiting these behaviors, not your child and so right. the the crisis prevention roadmap, the relational crisis prevention roadmap isn't something that you're going to find that dictates uh, the solutions for you. We're going to provide solutions it's just a way of looking at these challenging behaviors, being able to identify where your child is in this cycle, where am I at in this cycle, and making sure that the strategies that you use and if you don't know what any are being able to find positive support strategies, and know which ones are a good fit at what particular phase and uh, hopefully help everyone along in that process so that somewhere down the road, like you are, and I I feel like I am now, it wasn't 10 years ago, but I am now much more experienced. I have a lot more tools under my belt, and uh, the quality of life under my roof is way, way better than it was a decade ago. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that I've changed over the course of time. My kids have, too. Don't get me wrong. Absolutely. No,
1: but it starts with the parent changing.
0: changing. Yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you 100%. And I think that, you know, really, this is exactly what parents need. Parents need the roadmap. And I like the fact that it's not a specific roadmap because, you know, I see a lot of that. You know, I see a lot of, um, you know, do X, Y, and Z. And, you know, when I look at it, I always say, yeah. well, you know, how is that going to fit for everyone? So, um, you know, th- th- this I think really it's just so important. And, and I think parents really just need somewhere to start because it's so overwhelming in the beginning.
0: It mm-hmm. It is. And that's why I'm I'm very focused on just one topic. You know, if you need to know about sensory things or language-related uh, strategies or ideas, there's plenty of other people out there. Again, this is my little slice of the parent pie, uh, mm-hmm. that I'm just trying to, like you, I'm I'm trying to pay it forward. You know, there have been folks exactly. who eventually did jump in and help me. You know, now it's my turn to help others.
1: Right. Right, and, you know, that's so true because along the way people did jump in, um, you know, and try to help me. And, um, you know what, whether whether their efforts or whether their advice worked or not doesn't really matter. Um, you know, there were people there that were like, you know, I've been there, I get it, you know, and just that alone, you know, is just so comforting to, to parents. And you also offer a lot of spiritual advice. And... um you know, I'm not a religious person, but I am a very spiritual person. And I think that that also, you know, everybody has to find their own niche also. Right. That's true. And,
0: and you won't find that on the Relational Crisis Prevention website. I mean, my faith is a huge part of who I am. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I am also a big proponent of faith communities. Now, this is a whole different topic, but but just you know, I am a big proponent of faith communities being places of welcome and inclusion for our kids. That's another uh, thorn in my side right there. Something I'm trying to work on, but that's that's a whole other topic.
1: Mm-hmm. I'm still now trying to figure out how to incorporate K in the track.
0: So <laughs> you've
1: got me going in a in a whole other direction. Well, so far we've got kindness and kisses, so you know, you can work with that. Um, Mike, before you go, um let it give us your website, um, put everything out there, um, we will retweet it, we will tweet it for you. You know, where can parents get this and where can parents um you know contact you? Because you know you're 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 just like us, you're a great resource for parents. Well thank you.
0: The the website is www.relationalcrisisprevention.com. relational prevention dot com. I wanted it to be R C P but someone already took that, so I had Don't to spell the whole that? thing out. <laughs> Relational <laughs> right. prevention dot com. I have a fair amount of things up there. I am adding probably three new pieces of information per week. That's my goal. And over and you, you're time, very
1: active was, on Facebook. It was it making room on Facebook? Very active. That's uh, where uh, we yeah. found each other. Yeah? Uh, that is.
0: You know yeah, I that I, is it's it's great to talk. to You actually have I've emailed you back and forth, and this is the first time actually I've uh, well, I've heard your voice on the radio. Actually, this is the first time you've heard my voice.
1: So. That's right. <laughs> well, we will we will absolutely be collaborating in the future, and I want to thank you very much for what you do and for joining us tonight. And um, really follow uh, Mike on Twitter and on Facebook because he is just uh, a fountain of information. So thank you. Thank Thank you very much for joining us. We are all in this together. So thank
0: you for allowing me to to do my part this evening. I appreciate that.
1: Absolutely. just a quick, this morning I had a surprise, somewhat last-minute surprise interview with the cast of Girlfriend Again, and I had Jackson Rathbone, the hot, the uh, heartthrob, and it was a really great interview if you want to listen to it. Um, we have some more things coming up this week. Um, tomorrow I will have Greg Smith on, and he is the director of education for You Are Loved, and we will be talking about puberty and um, girls and toxic shock syndrome. Um, and then on Friday, um, Mindy Finch will have um, her chat, and they will be discussing the diagnosis, the day of the powerful emotions of when a parent is told that their child has cancer. That will be Friday morning. And um, if you are like the rest of us, the stress of raising a special needs child has made you gain a lot of weight, and there's a reason for that. Uh, Cortisol levels um, in special needs parents have been reported to be as high as – more veterans, and cortisol and inflammation and hormonal imbalances will absolutely cause weight gain. So guess who we have for you? Sunday, Dr. Barry Sears. He is the creator of The Zone Diet. Um, his book, The Zone, is a New York Times best-selling book. His um, diet is geared towards healthy living, not starving yourself, and um, he's coming. He's coming here Sunday, and he's going to help us not only um, lose some weight, and get healthy, but he also has some tips for our children with ADHD and other types of disorders and different diets that may help the inflammation in them as well. So that will be Sunday night at 9 p.m. I'd like to thank Mae Wilkinson, Pierre Deanne and Chuck Wally for hosting the Tweet Chat, and we will see you back here on Sunday. You are your child's best advocate. If not you, then who? Become an informed, educated parent. Thank you for joining us tonight on The Coffee Clutch.
0: Chumba. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over hundred casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, necessary. Void were by law. Eighteen plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.